Hey, it's Jeff, just giving a quick intro for this interview that we are about to do with two local musicians, Tino and Rolando Ibarra, who comprise Pancho Villa's Skull, a duo that creates punk music and mariachi music. Combining those two genres, they'll be here at the library on March 10th for a free show. Está roto, no trabajan para nosotros, solo sirven para ellos mismos y nunca cambiarán, lo te juro, solo sirven para ellos mismos y nunca cambiarán, lo te juro. Uh, welcome to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, and I am joined by Tino and Rolando from Pancho Villa Skull, who will be here at the library playing part of our monthly local music showcase series, First Stop Fridays. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, what's going on? Tell us about, of course, Pancho Villa Skull. It comes from the idea, Tino, that I think you have of combining two genres. Tell us, mm-hmm. Tell us about the origins of this. Well, the origins were probably, what, 11 years ago, 12 years ago now. I was doing, I started off as a solo project where I, you know, I had played a lot of punk bands, a lot of ska bands um, around the Detroit area. But I've also really liked um, like traditional mariachi music and Norteño and stuff that like we grew up listening to with our parents and our grandpa and all that. And I wanted a way to kind of mix both those genres. And I just, just, I didn't really know who else to do it with. So I just started it as a solo project. And um, Lando was also living in Chicago at the time, so he wasn't part of the band until much later. But I just, you know, started writing these songs in Spanish and kind of doing, I guess, like my own version of like what I thought mariachi music would sound like if it was like filtered through like a punk rock filter. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happened. And later, Lando joined the band. (laughs) (laughs) Were there any were there any other intricacies intricacies that you that you had to weave into it, or did you? Did you study mariachi music? Did you adapt your guitar playing style in any way? Or yeah, yeah. Actually, I, that guitar playing style was something definitely that I did. I actually went out and I bought a uh, a nylon string guitar because uh, inst- that's instead the kind of, of nickel guitar, instead of nickel instead of electronic because like that's the kind of a guitar that you use or you see used in um, mariachi music. I mean, I guess you do see nickel now, but like for me, like the more traditional sounding would be like the nylon string kind of flamenco style guitars that you would use even then you would use like more like muelas or like bajo sectos or something like that but uh for me like having my guitar skill would i had to using the guitar um the nylon string guitar was like really important for me to have that for this band and then rolando well, what were you up to in chicago and did you hear about what tino was up to was was he keeping you updated and saying hey i'm doing this new thing yeah i'd, I'd heard tino i think you started doing the band a little bit or he did start doing the band actually when I was in high school because the first Maria or the first Pancho Villascola EP, which was La Arriba EP, was recorded oh, yeah. as my audition to get into college. So that was like my the spring or summer, yeah, the spring before. So like the spring of my senior year in high school, we kind of set up a little demo here, or not a little demo, we set up a little recording station, and I had like a microphone and a four-channel mixer. 
and I had I basically mixed it live and then recorded the output into Audacity through the computer, and that was like the first EP. So I'd always been, I guess, a part of the like the the songs and the creation. And then when I went to school, I went to school for audio engineering. So when I was at college in Chicago, we had access to a studio, and that's where we recorded Kongoha uh, EP first, um, and then we did another one after too. What was the other one, Tina? So the mariachi maybe punk I, EP? Are you thinking of the mariachi? No, the mariachi punk EP, EP has me on it. So we. <laughs> this, this is the problem when we re-release so many songs. But anyways, there was two EPs. Mm-hmm. One we did the first year, and just like basically like an ADR booth, just a simple vocal booth. Um, and that's what we recorded guitar and vocals in. And then the second year, I got access to like a bigger studio that had actual separate rooms and a piano and stuff. And we recorded the second EP. Actually, uh, yeah, I, I do remember what it was is I came through and I, I recorded La Viene La Novia because I, I wrote that song for uh, my wife when we got married. And I came through and I recorded that in Chicago. But you had to have done Mira La Dador too because you recorded the piano there. Yeah, but I, yep, I did do that there. You're right. So, yeah. <laughs> Rolando, were you yeah. were you already adding Cajon at that point? No. Okay, okay. No. So it was it was just, I was solely just like the, the engineer. Not, not um, a percussionist yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had played drums my whole life. I think Tino got his first guitar when he was 13. So then like the following year after I got my drum set because I wanted to play music too. And my mom always wanted us to be musicians as well. Um, Just going back to like the mariachi influence, our grandfather was a mariachi in the city. And so a lot of our, especially my brother's young time uh, growing up was spent hearing him jam and play trumpet and sing uh, in his own little mariachi band with our uncle Peter. So that was definitely as far as like mariachi music, a heavy influence on both of us was our grandfather. Tell me about, tell me more about punk though, uh, Tino. Tell me what, what, uh, what drew you to that genre, and or and then maybe um, some of your other like influences, your formative influences, like I discovered punk rock at 13 years old. The same time I started playing guitar, so those two things are probably related. I really got into the band uh, MXPX first. I heard the song Responsibility, and I was like, "What is this?" And it just like freaky. It opened my eyes, I yeah. guess. And then um, I bought. The, that album that that song is on uh, the ever passing moment and in that album there's like there's like you know they do like thank you to other bands stuff like that but they had this like in that album they had like thank yous to like bands that influenced them mm-hmm. so I checked out some of those bands so, like on those are like The Clash and Elvis Costello and some other bands like I and those are bands that I, I absolutely love now and actually when I heard The Clash like that changed my life like I always say that the first Clash album absolutely changed how i write songs and music like i we were on a trip to cleveland i think my parents took us to and we went to the rock and roll hall of fame and in the rock and roll hall of fame they had like cds and stuff for sale and i bought the first clash album the uk version of the first clash album and we went back to the hotel that we were staying at and i had my headphones in and i just remember like listening to that album and just being like in awe of what i was hearing like joe strummer changed my life for real and so that really changed how I write music, how I wanted to write songs. And yeah, like punk rock really did just change my life. Heck yeah. What about you, Rolando? What were you listening to? I mean, so for me, and then maybe for, I don't know if we've mentioned that we're brothers. So a lot of what I was listening to was what my brother was listening to while he was driving me around. Mm-hmm. So we went to the same school. 
So, and our school was only literally two minutes away, but he would like load up a song every day and we would listen to like <laughs> one song, like on the way to school. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a diff- it was something different every time as you know, it was like from, like you were saying, The Clash and Elvis Costello, but then also I remember uh, Rancid being one and uh, that was like, for me, a big, a big influence musically at least. For me, I really, a lot of the I think when I, yeah, the Ramones as well when I got into like my own little teenager area, I got into a lot more of like metalcore and then also a lot of hip hop, which are like, I don't know, I guess two very different things, but <laughs> it like, it makes sense in our life being uh, kids They both who, have breakbeats. True. But just kids who grew <laughs> up in, in Pontiac who were sent to uh, predominantly white uh, schools. So that's like maybe what my friends at school were listening to. And then I was getting a lot of, and I feel like too, like my, the hip hop that I was like getting introduced to was maybe a couple years older. Cause our cousins are a lot years older or a lot older than us. Mm-hmm. A lot of our cousins are 10 to 15 years older than us. So what they were telling me to check out might've been a little bit, uh, not as new as what I was, you know, later going to figure out on. It's funny. Like I think of certain albums, like, uh, like Outcast Equemini thinking like, oh, that came out like right before Speaker Box. And it's like way before, but it's just, I discovered them. Mm-hmm. Like my cousin was like, don't look, oh, Speaker Box. Yeah, cool. But you got to listen to this too. And like, so that, mm-hmm. that those things influenced me, but Speaker Box uh, specifically was a really big influence on me. And that was the first time that I had really heard uh, political hip hop. Mm-hmm. I think Big Boy does a lot on that album. Um, I think Big Boy is super underrated. Uh, it's hard when you're standing next to Andre 3000, but that album and the topics and the things that were discussed on that album for me as like a kid being, I think maybe I was 11 when that came out. And I remember like watching the music video for Roses and then being like, oh, I want to listen to the rest of this. And then the whole first half is so different. Like speaker boxing itself is so different than the love below. But yeah, that was like a big influence on me. When I, when I remember instantly, when I think of Rancid, I always consider them a punk band, but then I remember the song time bomb and i'm like oh that's ska uh can you tell us yeah. more about getting into to, to scott you know and kind of like maybe bring us back around to why you go from the punk and scott to to starting this project because and you don't have to defend scott if you don't want to but like when i think of oh i will defend <laughs> scott. no what i mean yeah. is what i mean is what i mean is uh i think of the i can think of that that ska meme of like um, yes, we are all going to die of fun or like, I'm going to bring a trombone. Like this is like fun. It's like the kick dancing. Right. It is Scott feels, like uh, the third wave. Yeah. Third wave Scott. There's something yeah. there. Yeah. There's something super lighthearted about third wave ska, but then right. did you, did you feel maybe an urge perhaps to like get to what Rolando was talking about? Because when we do get into later Pancho Villa Skull songs, you're really talking about some serious stuff. Um, so I don't know if that was your, so, your ska experience. Uh, my ska experience, honestly, is like directly correlated to like, you know, bands like uh, Rancid who were doing ska songs, but also The Clash did some ska songs. Mm-hmm. And then um, two, I really got into the specials. I listened to a lot of specials and other songs that were, uh, at the time were politically charged, but just yeah. to be a mixed race group at that time and that was not uh common and you know being influenced by the specials and listening to different bands like uh you know the suicide machines like who are also here from detroit and uh mustard plug those bands 
but then I also really got into like traditional ska mm-hmm. and you know that's more like fun and dancing and stuff like you know the ska lights are a lot of their stuff is just instrumental right and um but yeah the political lyrics and things really came from listening to the clash and listening to uh you know bands like the specials and i just i forget which member of the clash who said like write about what affects you mm-hmm. and so that's kind of like what i wanted to do I, so when i was uh writing songs but i was in a ska band when i started writing songs in spanish and we did write like write political songs in that band and then when i started to do uh you know poncho via skull i just kind of brought that songwriting over and just really wanted to write more in spanish and then rolando tell us about the the Circumstances of actually bringing you on board uh, into the band and bringing the cajon in. Okay. Yeah. So in 2014, I moved. Uh, yeah, into 2014, like 2014, 2015, I moved back here um, and started working at the Oakland County Pet Adoption Center, um, which is like I think if you look back at the history of PBS, it's very dog influenced. Our artwork and the things that we're doing and this interview and making sure that my dog has headphones so she can hear what's going on <laughs> and like. Um, but yeah, that kind of brought me back here and working, um, and going to a lot of shows uh, and starting to get into photography and stuff. And then eventually my brother asked me like, Hey, to bring it all back around. He said, can you do this clash cover set for me for Joe Strummer day? And I, I was like, well, what do you need? And he was like, well, I just need something that's more than just an acoustic guitar to kind of oomph up these clash songs. Cause they don't sound as good with just a fast guitar and vocals. They need something else. So. At that, at that time, I only played the drum kit, or I had only played the drum kit, So, and I knew that that wasn't going to be feasible for what we were trying to do, and I didn't have one or the money to spend for one show. So I went to our local um, music shop, and I just sat down, and I played like a bunch of percussion instruments, like congas, um, just like a whole bunch of different djembes, all these different types of hand drums, t- tabanos, tabali, like tambales, like everything that I could play there to, that was percussive, I was just trying it. And then eventually I got to a cajon and that's what I felt like could preserve like the the tone that he was giving playing an acoustic guitar, but also could bring enough oomph and be aggressive enough for me to play it in a punk way. Uh, so we did that show. We did a bunch of Clash covers and it was, it was awesome. Um, and then it was pretty much like after that, he was like, all right, uh, I put your name on the Facebook profile. Here's I added you to the login. Here's our Instagram, and I was like, "Oh, so like, I'm just I'm I'm in the band now." Um, yeah, I never asked Lando to be in the band. I just told him he was in the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and that and that was just it for me. Like it wasn't. It, it made sense. Like I've always looked at myself as, you know, how do I most enhance this project, or how do I help my brother get out whatever his vision is um and i still in a way sort of feel like that's my role like you know he brings me songs and then i help him complete them it's not there's like it's not like we're you know doing the lyrics together or like coming up with riffs together or not to say that that never will happen but a lot of times um you know tina does a lot of his work in in salt and you know by himself um and brings it to me and it's my it's my job as the percussionist or the producer or the engineer or whatever else I feel like hat whatever other hat I feel like wearing that day to help him complete the song so sometimes that's me adding cajon and backup vocals or sometimes that's me reaching out to our friend Shannon from Plattsburgh uh to get violin parts to to you know send in because I have a certain 
idea for this section of the song that I think, you know, helps complete with what he's thinking. Um, but yeah, that was, that was how I got in as I just did the class show. And it was like, from there we're, we're on and running and, you know, we played our first show as a band. Technically we did an open mic at the Kaji cafe, but our first show as a band was in West Chicago, um, Illinois. So we went and did that and we, you know, it was kind of a, a crazy drive is not much different than how the weather is right now. And, you know, mm -hmm. we, we survived and we had a lot of fun and it was, it was like, all right, we, I think, I think we can do this. So just have been, it's also been at a hookah at bar, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was also at a hookah bar, which is great for singing, you know, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you really need like, I mean, speak on that too, Tino, you really need your voice. Both of you do. Cause I think mm -hmm. I have to imagine that by the time both of you are done with a set, you, you are most possibly on the verge of, of going little horse because you really throw everything into a performance and the, the vocals are super passionate and super intense and super emotional, but that's that's just the punk side of it, I guess. Um, I, I would actually say that's more the mariachi side of it. Right on. The vocal yeah. stylings like that, because that's how a lot of the uh, you know early mariachi song or not early, just mariachi songs in general are kind of like this whole like body experience with singing, and then too there's like I mean there's a little bit more of like theatrics in it and things like that so there is like a lot of like vocal stylings that are just you know using your whole body with the uh, vocals Part of bringing this into your current project, didn't you also, I mean, you obviously make and have made several trips down to Mexico. I, you've had like part of it is your family and your upbringing, but wasn't there something else? Didn't you like go on some trip into Mexico where it was like, that was really a lightning, lightning bulb moment for you? Yeah. Cause so where our dad is originally from in Texas is uh, San Benito, Texas is right by the border. And we would always go, you know, visit family and things like that. And at some point you're just going to wind up in Mexico. If that's right. just what happens. And on those trips, there's always like mariachis, like on the street, there's music everywhere. Just dudes just playing, um, you know, whether it just be solo or there's like, you know, um, trios that are just on the streets, you know, playing music. And I just, I love that. And, you know, I just love seeing that and like see, just seeing those street musicians and the respect they have for the craft and the um, dedication they have to their craft. I just love that. And I, it, there was a self-titled release in 2018, but before that, there was the Mariachi Punk EP. That So that was like, mm -hmm. that was kind of the, was that, was that the first mentioning of it? Was that the first kind of unveiling of the idea of it to at least the local scene here? I had always like called it Mariachi Punk. Right. Uh, but I think naming that EP was very deliberate. Like, this is what this is. This is what we're going to sound like. And yeah, we're just, we're putting that label on it. Let's just reflect 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. I mean, how, first of all, like yeah. <laughs> how, it, I mean, in what ways are the, obviously there's like this, you know, three year uh, weird, you know, warp hole odyssey that we all had to go through of being in a pandemic and not really having mm -hmm. a normal way of 
rehearsing or a normal way of performing for like a year and a half, which is a whole thing. But mm -hmm. when you think, when you, here we are now uh, entering the spring of 2023, almost, uh, are there ways in which Pancho Villascal is distinct from maybe day one? Has it, has it changed in any way for you? Has it evolved in any way for you? Maybe I'm more open about bringing in different influences into the music than I was before. I felt like there was very like, no, this all has to be like mariachi music based. Right. And, you know, I was very, but now I'm a little bit, maybe a little bit more open. Like on, I would say on our last album, there's just, you know, um, Alicanaya, I would say is more just like a straight up punk song mm -hmm. just with, you know, uh, you know, nylon string guitars and cajon. So I, I would say like maybe I'm a little more open to bringing in different influences into the music. Maybe more like the ska influences that we've had. And, um, you know, we do a lot of like cumbia and norteño, you know, stuff like, like maybe make it a little more dancey, I guess you could say. But um, maybe that's the biggest difference from mm -hmm. when we first started. And what about the production side of it, Rolando? I mean, the biggest difference is, I mean, I guess from when it started to now and not, not too much, we're still doing it right here in the upstairs of our parents' house. Um, I still do all the recording. Uh, when we did Hentification, we did go to a studio um, to make it easier on us because we hadn't, uh, previously what we had done like with the Mariachi Punk EP is we recorded like over a really long period of time. Like, mm -hmm. okay, we would do, you know, whenever we had time, we would get together and do this song and then it might be a month before we could get together and record the next song or you know, we might got to redo vocals and it takes a long time. So. For Hint of Vacation, we went in a, a studio for two days, three days. I don't three know, days, we went in there. recorded an album, three days. Yeah, for, for three <laughs> days, and we recorded all of the instrument parts and as much of the vocals as we could. And then we only had to read, like, uh, overdub just a couple of things after the fact, so that really helped us. But then I still mixed and mastered the entire thing um, after that. So I think a lot of, for us, what has changed is more so, like, our vision and our skill set as a um, musician and as a producer engineer. I still think that like as far as like overall what we're doing, um, like this was a project for my brother to connect back to our roots and our like the music that we grew up listening to. So I think a lot of the new influence and stuff that we are bringing into the music still falls in line with that original vision where like it is Norteño music, it is, you know, cumbia music, it is like older punk, uh, you know, three, four chord style music, which are all things that we grew up listening to um, that are kind of coming back um, up and through some of these albums. But yeah, like he's saying, we're a little bit more uh, open to like adding other instrumentation. I versus, you know, even two years ago, I only really played cajon and now I can play different pitch percussion and a little bit of trumpet. And so all these other things, um, just being a music teacher have helped me expand my skill set and other things that I can bring into the band. I don't think we've used any pitch percussion on a PVS song, but we have in like some songs that we've worked on for other people. We had uh, my boss come in and do vibraphone for a cover that we did for the Stubborn Records. And also my other coworkers came in and played trumpet as well. And then we also have used a bell kit on some, some writing and stuff we've done for other people. So. I'd expect definitely some more instruments to come out in, in this next album. But I think overall, well, I don't even know if I can say next album, in whatever else we release uh, coming in the yeah. future. See Tino's eyes get all big. He's like, I got two songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got two but, songs for the next whatever. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. In the world. 
but I, that that is also why you see a lot of PVS songs. We're lucky that we had this kind of break where it's like uh, before percussion, after percussion, because then we get to reuse some of the songs from before percussion for now. But I think mm -hmm. we've used up all of them now, so I we, gotta, we have used up every single song. We've got to <laughs> we've redone them all. We've got to start making some new ones. I was gonna say in the last song we recorded, uh, Sinawa, we actually used some vocal manipulation, which I don't think we really used before. Mm. Where on your background vocals, we had uh, Eamon put like you know that effect on it, which I'm not. I don't think it's something we've done before, really. That is, I've, <laughs> so I've used that microphone, and so what we what my dad found an old principal's microphone during like my dad worked for the water department, so there's like a flood in mm -hmm. some school. Found this old principal's microphone, and I've had it ever since, and I've used it. Um, on every PVS recording, at least that I've been on. Um, so it is on Hentification. I just, I now, you know, it's funny as I literally, I just listened back to the album the other day for the first time. And I remember I was going to text Eamon and be like, oh, this is where, this is where we use the, the principal's mic on the other album. And I can't remember now what song it was. Uh, I, I think, it, oh, it's Sinexion. It's, it's when I do the uh, build up in Sinexion. Um, so anytime we have a song with Sin in the uh, name, we use that microphone. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, they're definitely just uh, branching out different effects using, like, yeah, in doing Sinawa, our latest single, was the first time we had anybody else uh, mix the record for us. I helped do some of the engineering and, like, production, uh, but we let him take care of the rest of the stuff. And so that was cool and different and getting to go out. I don't even think we talked about getting to, like, go out to New York um, and doing Punk Island Festival, then going the next day to the studio with the Pigeon Pack and getting able to, you know, being able to record that song all and lay that down all in one day. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Eamon, who Eamon McMullen, who recorded and mixed uh, that song, told us that that was like the fastest session he'd ever done a complete song in ever. Um, and we're like, yeah, because we've played it live like 200 times. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so we know exactly like what we want, how to get it and like whatever. And so... That was a really fun experience also. There are some touchstones for blending these, you know, apparently disparate genres or just blending folk, like a like a certain kind of folk music into punk music because that's something Gogo Badella did or, or the Pogues did. But mm -hmm. um, there's Gogo Badella songs in English. Can you talk about the decision to make the majority of your canon stay in Spanish and the importance of that? It is a conscious decision. When I first started writing songs for this band, really it was just because I wanted to like, kind of like practice my Spanish, honestly, and to like rewrite in Spanish and do things like that. And, but I do have a rule in the songs that is like, a song can be all in Spanish, but it can't be all in English. That is a rule that I have for myself in writing songs for Pancho Skull. So, I mean, yeah, that is a very conscious decision that I wanted to write in Spanish and I wanted the song to be mostly in Spanish. And I've talked about how in, in, intense performances can be and intense some of the songs can be, but you, you're you both really talented musicians there, and you do have the occasional softer side. There are some ballads, there are some slower songs, there are some, some waltzier kind of things going on. So you definitely, you guys definitely have evolved. Um, and you've been here 11, mm -hmm. 12 years now. I have to imagine the music scene itself has evolved a little bit and changed. And maybe there's something to it about how, you know, you're letting a few other influences come in beyond just the two specific genres. I I really think a lot of bands, and I'd love to get your take on the, the modern music scene, but I think a lot of bands around here are kind of doing that same thing where they aren't just 
one genre. It's not really just an mm-hmm. all punk bill anymore. Um, have you encountered that? I think that like for a lot of us, obviously the past three years have like given us a lot of time to one, sit at home for a little bit, find some new songs, find some new influences, but also want to express ourselves in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that comes out in you know different genres of music. I think like someone who had a really good and really dynamic album uh, was Former Critics album that they put out recently had, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of, even in certain, even in like in, within just one song sometimes, a lot of different dynamics and ups and downs. And I think that they like, yeah, that they killed that really well. Um, and so for us, like, you know, like same thing, being at home, getting some different influences, getting some different music, having different life experiences. I feel like a lot of us lost people in the pandemic, whether it was due to the pandemic or just from other things. Um, and like those things have come out in our music and our live performances because like I want to honor those people. So like when we were doing a lot of the live streams, I was, you know, taking chances to like put up things for my grandma and put up things for our friends that had passed away and stuff like that. And so that kind of affects how we write as well. I think as far as like how, I don't know, the, like the scene itself has evolved and changed. Like, I don't know, catty people are still going to be catty, (laughs) but it's, I think that's like something we've uh, consciously tried to like keep ourselves out of bickering with other bands or like bickering over, you know, who does what at a show. That's not really um, what we're here for or care about. I think if we're speaking about something or we're talking loudly about something, it's going to be something that's a little bit more near and dear to our hearts personally. And I feel like a lot of people in the scene have moved towards that way in the past couple of years and I realized that like you know maybe some of I guess for lack of a better term like high schoolish uh stuff in the scene doesn't really matter so like a lot of like the if you're a punk man you gotta just be punk or if you do that like like a lot of those labels have kind of I feel like a, a slowly started to dissolve away especially like we're talking over the past 13 year period um has been mm-hmm. you know crazy like seeing shows with uh going to shows with my brother before he was in this uh before he would you know started punch be a school when he was in different punk bands and stuff and just seeing how even like how women were treated in the scene or trans people were treated in the scene and how differently that that has changed so much over the past 13 years so like those things and the levels of actual inclusion that have happened especially in the past three years a lot has made me really proud um and it's made me happy that when you look back at you know some of the things we've done or said over the past five years um and some of the things that maybe we've gotten hate for are now like just normal common practice like you're saying like having mixed genre lineups or having shows that aren't all predominantly white people or having festivals that aren't all predominantly white people like those are things that when i first started the band or when i first joined the band in 2016 2017 really bothered me that those um that those were still issues at the time you know that like I felt like I was joining a music scene that was not as progressive. Like the music, the musicians were not as progressive as the fans, maybe. Um, and that and that bothered me. And so that's like a lot of when I joined the band, I came to talk about it. Um, and you know, there were some people that really supported us. There were some people that really didn't support us saying those things. Uh, but it's it's good to see now that like 
yeah, they're, the genres of a show don't matter. Like I had to, we had to fight so much just to be on punk shows because we're a punk band. But like people right. wouldn't let us be on punk shows because we don't have a four by ten amp or whatever. You know the qualifications of a punk band they might have seen. So those changes and like those things, like as far as like just in the scene, have made me made me super pumped to 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 continue playing music and continue building some of these friendships with bands that we have that I feel like are a little like minded, like former critics, like the Lonely Years from Queens, like Michael Ternini in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, Grey Matter and Wrench Strike, and she or hers, you know, here. Um, I don't know, Tina. You got anything else? Ways you've seen no, change? That was- that was well put i agree heck yeah i mean at the end of the day like when i listen to your music and i and i see you guys perform i just see passion uh it's not even like i'm not even thinking of genre i just see a lot of passion and intensity and two guys who just really love music and who also just you know have natural chemistry because you're brothers and that for well just how you speak about like passion and like it how like the passion is almost genreless for me and I'm assuming for both of us, a big influence uh, in that, like keeping the passion across all genres would be Selena Quintanilla. Like when I hear or think of a, of a passionate voice or someone speaking or singing in a passionate way that can evoke emotion, even to someone who doesn't know necessarily what's being said, mm-hmm. I, that's typically the first person that comes in my mind. And that's like who I really grew up listening to. I grew up listening to, I was born in 1993. I grew up listening to Selena Live 1993, like my whole life. So all the different genres that are in that, all the different um, dynamics that are in that, and the, how the emotion and the passion stays the same throughout the entire um, length of the CD, that really influenced me as to like, that's what a performance should be. That's what a live artist should be. And so you combine that with both of us being influenced by like street musicians and also me growing up being uh, a DJ in my teens and 20s. Like we rarely make a set list. We vibe off of the crowd and what we see and what, and that's how a lot of street musicians work. That's obviously how mm-hmm. DJs work. Uh, a lot of DJs work. Um, and so I feel like those things uh, really influence our performance as well. So I just wanted to like mm-hmm. shout out those two aspects. Um, you know, definitely like Selena and the live albums, um, but also like DJing and hip hop and like how we read the crowd and crowd control and room control are all things that I take into account at least when we're because like I said, a lot of times we don't make up a set list. We're kind of on the fly. Or sometimes we do have a set list and I'll look over my brother and say, hey, we're going to play this song instead and we'll just switch it up on the fly just because that's what the room is needing. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are two influence, two influences for me that I want to just like shout out. Also, in live performances, we're not married to the recordings when we record yeah. our songs and stuff like that. If we think something might sound better, uh, you know, now than we recorded it, like we're not married to the recording at all. Like we don't mind switching that up and doing something different when we're, you know, live. Um, I know a lot of people are like, this is how it's recorded. This is how we're going to play it. We're not that way. We're totally just like, we're going to see how it feels in the time and we'll just do it then. Excellent. Uh, and we're still looking forward to you guys playing here at the library. Uh, and I no pressure on Tino. Apparently, currently working on some new stuff, which is always good to hear. But you guys have plenty <laughs> yeah. of stuff on your Bandcamp, and as was hinted, plenty of the covers uh, have uh, have really adorable dogs in the in the artwork. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, both of you, uh, Tino Rolando, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And uh, March tenth, folks, if you are hearing this in time, and I think you are, mark your calendars, come to the library. <laughs> it is a free all ages show. And thank you both for joining me. It's a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs>
frustrados se quieran quejando Y mientras ellos están hablando Este país no habrá cambiado And that was my chat with Tino and Rolando Ibarra, who are of Pancho Villa's Skull. That's Tino on guitar and lead vocals, and Rolando on percussion, but also the production side of things. They have lots of releases on their Bandcamp, which we will be linking to in the show notes. March 10th is when they'll be here at the library performing a free show, part of our First Stop Friday series. That series, the live music series, is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, just like this podcast, which is called A Little Too Quiet. Thanks again for listening to another episode. And thanks as always to John Duffy for giving us music to open and end each episode. You could go to ferndalefriends.org if you want to support this podcast, or you could just rate, review, and subscribe. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.